All right. Well, good morning. Come on. Yeah. New year, new you, right? All right. Um, I'm Caleb. Hi, everybody. That means a lot. Um, so uh, as, as Pastor Tyler mentioned earlier, I'm, I'm one of the elders here, part of the teaching team, and excited to start out this new year together. And uh, just even in the room today, just feel the life and the excitement of, of what God is doing here at River Run, what God is doing in our community, what's ahead of us. And I just, I'm excited. I'm excited for this day. And we are starting off a new series, and it's making the most of what you've been given. And uh, today isn't just starting off a new series. It's actually starting off the year. This idea, one of our value statements here as, as a church, is, is making the mo- make the most of what you've been given. This is going to be our whole year. Our whole year is going to be focused on this idea, and, and we'll be building off of it in different ways as we walk this journey. But um, So we at River Run, and if you've come from a different church, if you've been to different churches as well, they probably believe these same two basic things. And number one is that you were created for a relationship with God. You were created, designed by God to find life in relationship with Him. We need it. We need it. And secondly, we were created to find purpose and fulfillment when we are representing this God to the world around us. We're created for relationship with Him, and we have a purpose of representing Him to the world. Now, I didn't come up with that idea. And a bunch of pastors in different places didn't come up with that idea. That's God's idea. And God knows that every human being has these two core needs. To find our value, to find life in relationship with Him, and to find purpose in in whatever realm we're in, in representing God to the world around us. Because the world needs to know Him as well. And because God knows we have these needs, and He is a good God, He has equipped us for that. He's given us the gifts, the resources, the equipment we need in order to experience life the way He designed it. Relationship with Him and representing Him in this mission to the world. He's given us these gifts. Well, we're coming just off of Christmas season, and um, I don't know about you, but, but one of the uh, common problems that happens in Christmases all over the place, around Christmas trees— is problems that happened in the house I grew up in. Um, so we didn't do, when, when I was growing up, we didn't do like Amazon Prime, right? You couldn't wait and then like buy things and get it later that day or the next day for Christmas gifts. My, my mom used to lay away our gifts at uh, Kmart um, back in the day. That's how we did gifts. And so my mom would invest all year, high value, early in the year. My mom is like, I mean, if you meet my mom and you mention Christmas, you better just sit down. It's going to be a while. She is highly invested. And she, she would purchase his gifts early in the year, secure them with a deposit, and then she would keep going in with whatever money she had and chip away at that all year long. And then we'd wake up on Christmas morning, my sister and I, and we would come to the tree we'd, and we'd see all these gifts and I would rip the, pre- rip the wrapping paper off and I'd look at the box and I'd set it over here and I'd rip the next one open, I'd look at the box and set it over here. And when we were really little, sometimes we might even open the gift, set it over here and you play with the box, Right? You ever had, I mean, you've seen videos of it, or maybe you've seen your own kids or grandkids or nieces and nephews do such a thing where literally it's Christmas Day and they're building some fort out of a box of something that costs you a bunch of money, right? Um, And so you have these unopened boxes and unused gifts, right? And it's sort of fun on Christmas. I mean, for some of us, we're like, man, I should have just bought the box. That would have been way easier. Way cheaper, right? 
But when we think about our, this idea of this year, making the most of what you've been given, God has given us gifts, high-value gifts. He has invested immensely in providing for his people the resources needed, the gifts needed to live life the way he designed. But for many people in the church, and in myself included, these gifts either are unopened or unused. They're unopened or unused. And, and for many of us, we're playing with the box, right? We find ourselves in, and God gives us something like prayer. The ability to communicate with God, be heard by Him, and see God intervene in the world, in our life, in the life of those we care about through this thing called prayer, and we play with the box. Now I lay me down to sleep, I pray, O oh Lord, my soul. To... It turned into like these, these little phrases and things, and those aren't bad, but we're playing with the box. We're not really using the gift. And today, we're going to talk about the Bible. And God gives us this gift of 66 books all written over the course of, of a, couple thousand, uh, a couple thousand years and, and carrying within it this revelation of who God is and He inspires it. And we, I get the gift and it stays in the box and I reduce it to Googling a verse that I want to find to help me sleep. Need a verse for how to deal with difficult people at work. I'll say at work because my family's all here. All right. Um, at work. All right. Give me five verses. Okay, good. I got one. I'll memorize. I'll, I'll cut it out. I'll, I'll stick it on something. And we reduce it to something like that or a, memory, a few memory verses we kind of loosely recall. But this year, we don't want to be that way. God loves us so much that he's given us gifts so that when we open them, when we use them, we can experience life in a relationship with him like we never have before. And we can represent him as, his, as, his, as this mission we've been given to the world around us like we never have before. And so I'm really excited about where we're going. And as I said, today we're talking about the Bible specifically. I think that's a good one to talk about to start the year. I was looking it up, and amongst Christians, one of the uh, highest um, uh, uh, New Year's resolutions, uh, resolutions amongst Christians is some measure of a, a renewed commitment to reading the Bible. Um, and if you're like me, I, I've done that many times, and I'm going to read through the Bible this year. And then I stop somewhere around Genesis 25, maybe. On a good year, I would maybe get, if I opened up Leviticus, I would quickly say, psych, maybe next year. I'm done with this. I'm going to read the Gospel of John again, all right? So at the start of the year, and think about why that might be, right? Why? Why is, there, is it trendy amongst Christians to say, new year, new me, you know what I'm going to do? Read the Bible more this year. Why? Because we know there's a value there. And we feel the deficiency of how much we're getting from it. And all, all the studies um, ha have shown this kind of disconnect in the American church specifically from the Bible. And uh, there's, there's a number of articles I've read over the last several years in my ministry with Emmaus just to kind of look at the w relationship of the body of Christ with the church, with the Bible. And, and this is a headline that I really thought was a good summary from Lifeway Research. Americans are fond of the Bible, don't actually read it. Americans are fond of the Bible, don't actually read it. Um, this study was uh, surveyed all over the country and, and found that 9 out of 10 households in the U.S. have a Bible. Nine out of ten. 
um, the average house in this country, and that's not just talking about Christians, the average house in the U.S. has three Bibles in it. And yet simultaneously, where uh, nine out of ten houses have said, hey, we want to have a Bible here, or they've maybe received it from someone and said it's worth enough to keep here in our house, or maybe they've spent the money to decide what Bible they want and get it and put it in their house, that even though that's true, also true is that even amongst those who actively attend church, less than half of them read it more than once a week. Um, The American Bible Society did a study, and they found that in 2019, 14% of Christians said they read the Bible on a daily basis. And I say daily, we mean like four or five times a week. The, the normal day included reading the Bible. In 2020, it dropped to 9 or 10% of Christians, followers of Jesus, who read their Bible on a consistent basis throughout the week. In last year, the American Bible Societies, uh, they do the state of the Bible every year, kind of a, a survey of, of churches around the country. And, and, and last year, 2022, was the lowest level of engagement with the Bible they've ever seen in their years of doing research. Now, lest you feel like Caleb is just coming for you right now, I'm not. I'm not at all. Um, many of you have heard my story. I'm a pastor's son, grew up in the church, and the worst question I was ever asked is, What have you been learning from the Bible lately? Because I wasn't. (laughs) I didn't read my Bible. And my dad was the one asking me. And so I'd have to fake something like, oh, really? Uh, About God's love? Pass. And then my sister would preach a little mini sermon because she's annoyingly good. was always good at that habit. Um, She was annoying in a lot of ways, but it's one. Um, But uh, so... It's been a struggle for me. And even I was a pastor for seven years before I came to this ministry called Emmaus where I went to this Bible school for a year. But for seven years, I was a pastor and primarily I read the Bible to try to find some verses to use in my next sermon. That's pretty much it. So I'm talking about it right alongside everybody else. Now God in His grace has pursued me and sought my heart and and drawn me into the Scriptures in a deep way. But But this is part of my story, too. Americans are fond of the Bible, don't actually read it. And one of the things that really stuck out to me as I was reading that research from last year's study was that over half of the people surveyed said in some specific way, this is God's Word. I know we're used to saying that. Like, if you've been around church, we're used to saying that. But that's crazy, right? This is God's Word. Now, how exactly we understand that? Like, what does that mean exactly? But, but over half the people surveyed said, this is God's word. But among all the people who literally would say, this is God, the creator of all things, right? Who holds all things together, the, is, created the universe, like created me, created trees and flowers and birds and all that stuff and preserves it all and is over eternity and all that. This is his words. Less than half of the people who said that read it more than when they just go to church. And I see within me and within those stats that there is this this lived contradiction uh, in in the church. And I'm not talking about River Run. Just so you know, I'm I'm not talking about you. I'm not talking about River Run specifically. I'm just drawing a big giant circle like these surveys are are doing, these studies are doing to say, hey, we kind of got a problem in the church as a whole. And that lived contradiction is this, that 
The Bible is God's word, and I choose not to read it. All right, like that's a contradiction. Like for me to say those two things, like, hey, everyone, this is God's word. Do I read it? No. I'm sorry, Caleb. Please repeat. One of those things have to not be true. Um, but there's a disengagement that has happened with the Bible. And this year, as we're leaning into making the most of what we've been given, this is one of the things we want to start to make the most of in our own lives. Because alongside these studies that say so many of the church, we become disconnected from the Bible. Right alongside that is other studies that show the best predictor that Caleb Ives will live a full life of consistently growing in my relationship with God. The best predictor of that is that I'm engaging with my Bible three, four times a week. That's the best predictor. And yet many of us are not. All right, so let's lean into that together and, and, and consider, like, why does this contradiction exist? Why, why is this dichotomy between the, the ascribed value and the demonstrated value of the Bible in my life, in the life of the church? And, you know, I think there's a lot of reasons we could get into, and we're not going to today because I'm probably going to go long, and I don't want to do that. You've got to eat lunch at some point. Um, but we got issues like all the distractions, right? There's a billion things you can always do and access all the time. We got the distractions like technology, the obstacle of like technology, where the reality is if you really want to just use the Bible to consult as a quick survey to find a word of wisdom for the day, it's better to use Google than to actually read your way through it. It is. So we got technology, we got the, the quick instant gratification that we get everywhere else. Like I said, there are things I can order on Amazon right now during this message that by the end of the day will show up in my house. I mean, that's crazy. When I look for things on Amazon, I make sure to select only things that deliver on Prime because I want them quick. We go and we, we get food quickly. You want to have a quick complaint at a restaurant, let it take a little longer than, I think it, than somebody thinks it should, right? I didn't say me, but... All right, we are used to this. And, and, and the reality is, this is a long... This, there's a lot of words in here. That the Bible is a slow, deep mining in the midst of a world of quick access and instant gratification. But we need it. But even if you took out the distractions, the technology, there are two kind of core underlying reasons why people like me, maybe like us, don't engage with the Bible. And one is and you can write this down if you're taking notes, but or just think about it yourself. One is that we don't really understand the value and purpose of the Bible. Like we know it's supposed to be really important, and we know we say it's God's Word, but we don't really understand why it's so valuable. We don't understand why we have it. And the second obstacle is that we don't know how to get value out of it. Because, man, we've, we try, and that was real boring. And I didn't understand any of those words. So uh, I'll just come to church next Sunday. All right? And so we're going to have a series in February, and I'm really excited to be teaching a lot of that, where we're going to really look at how to better engage with the Bible and, and get value out of it. But for this morning, just in the last little bit here, I just want to share with you a few of the reasons God gave us the Bible. And as we start the new year, just kind of remind our heart the why 
behind us having the Bible. So I want to share a few of those with you. And so what is the value of the Bible? What is the value of the Bible? And here's what I would say. The value of the Bible is given to it by the giver of the Bible. All right? The same as the value of the gifts that my mother gave to me. The value is based upon the value she had placed within it. The question was whether or not I would receive it with the same measure of value she had invested in it. So what is the value of the Bible? And so the first one is this. The value of the Bible is getting to know the Lord. It's knowing the Lord. Knowing Him. Um, I'm going to be reading a lot of verses in the next few minutes, which is good because it's a message about the Bible. All right? So hang on. In Luke chapter 24, verses 25 through 27, Jesus is talking to disciples of His um, after He's resurrected. And you know what's crazy is they spent three years around a Jesus they really liked and were amazed by. But the verse is showing that they don't really know him. They don't really understand who he is and what what he's like. And it says this, Then Jesus said to them, You foolish people, you find it so hard to believe all the prophets wrote in the Scriptures. It's the Bible. Wasn't it clearly predicted the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering into his glory? It goes on and says, Then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining from all the scriptures things about himself. Jesus says to these disciples, hey, let me take you on a quick Bible survey. And at that point, the Bible was the Old Testament. He says, hey, the Old Testament, listen, a purpose of that is that you would know me, Jesus. I want you to know me. I want you to know me. But didn't you start... With Jesus, in in the Old Testament, the very first Bible that existed was the first five books of the Old Testament. Genesis to Deuteronomy, it's called the Torah, the law. And in there, uh, there's this experience Moses has, and he writes it down. And the very first people trying to walk out relationship with God, the Israelites in the wilderness, they're given this book that includes these stories to say, this is what your God is like. And here's what it says in Exodus 34, 5 through 7. Then the Lord came down in a cloud and stood there with him. That's with Moses. And he called out his own name, Yahweh. The Lord passed in front of Moses, calling out, Yahweh, the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy. I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. I forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin, but I do not excuse the guilty. And so there's two things happening in that passage. One is, wow, Moses is having this amazing experience with God by himself on a mountain. But when we think about the Bible and the purpose of it, Moses wrote it down so that every generation of God's people could read from that experience and know these things, that God is a God of compassion and mercy. He is rich in love for you. He is eager to forgive you of your sins and your rebellion and your iniquity. That's what God is like. It's written down so that people can know what God is like. Otherwise, you're just left to guess. Let me tell you, people have made some really bad guesses about what God is like. But the Bible shapes our understanding of who He is, that we would know Him. In John 20, verse 31, John, at the end of his gospel, he's written down all the stories, a bunch of stories of what Jesus has done, what He taught. In John 20, 31, he says this. This is why these are written. And honestly, this could be set on the end of the whole Bible as well. These are written so that you may continue to believe, to trust that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you'll have life by the power of his name. 
If you know somebody, here's what that means. You know their character. Knowing somebody isn't about just knowing their name, their first name, their last name, and their occupation, or what house they live in, or whatever. It's not that. Knowing someone is knowing who they are. Knowing their character. And knowing someone is, is not just knowing, hey, this is what they say their character is, but knowing their reputation. And the Bible, all these people throughout thousands of years experienced God, heard things from God, and they wrote it down. Based on God's plan for all his people through all generations, they wrote it down so that we can know the Lord. We can know him. We don't have to guess what God is like. And we might take that for granted, but that is an incredible gift. We don't have to guess what our God is like because the scriptures reveal it to us. So God gave us the Bible because he wants us to know him. He wants us to know what he's really like and not be left to our own devices or our best guesses or the latest person on YouTube that we can find. The second reason God gave us the value or the Bible was, was to deepen our roots. The value of the Bible is it deepens our roots in our relationship with God so we can endure through things. And if you've been around River Run for a while, you know one thing we do uh, as part of our, our culture is this idea of rooted, this um, uh, discipleship journey that we take, uh, take small groups through. Where we're all about trying to become rooted people. We have deep roots so that in every season of our life, not just the good days, in every season we can endure faithfully and we can be fruitful in our lives and we can bless the world around us and live out a sturdy healthy relationship with God. In Psalm chapter 1, the the writer of the psalm, here's what they say about the Bible, which at that point was, again, it was Genesis, Deuteronomy. You'll you'll hear it called the law here, but that's the Bible. Psalmist says, Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked, or stand around with sinners, or join in with mockers, but they delight in the law of the Lord. They delight in the Bible meditating on it day and night. That means they think about it during the day. They think about it at night. Oh, the joys of these people. Oh, the joys. And it goes on and then says this. They, they're like trees planted, rooted along the riverbank, bearing fruit each season. Their leaves never wither and they prosper in all they do. If you're planted by a stream, there are two ways that you're, you as a tree can be nourished. One is when the rainy season comes. That's seasonal. When the rain drops down. When it's just, oh yeah, the rain you need is all just pouring down. The other way you can be nourished, even when it's not a season of of fruitful rain pouring down over your life. Not the bad rain, the good rain. The only way you can endure is if you have roots. Because if you have roots, you can drink from that stream that is always there for you. In the Bible, when we read the scriptures, God gave it to us so it will drive our roots down deeper in the soil and we can be nourished by it. It will hold us up in the midst of seasons where, listen, our circumstances do not always preserve our relationship with God. Our circumstances sometimes will be telling us lies about God. But the scriptures root us deeply so that we can hold up through those seasons and still be fruitful The third reason God gave us the Bible and why it's so valuable in our life is that it leads us in a blessed life. 
Now let me give a little context for that. When we say blessed life, what it often is equated to is the American dream. That's not what we believe here. That's not what I'm talking about. The Bible does not lead us into the American dream. Now listen, it, it, it will absolutely impact our economic situation, our family situation. It will impact us in business and whatever job we have because we'll conduct ourselves with integrity, with discipline, good work, efficiency. We'll communicate with humbly, humbly and honestly. So it'll, it, it is a blessing and all that. But we're talking about the blessed life as, as God defines it. God's dream for us. A life marked by something called shalom. Shalom is peace. Things are as they ought to be. That the scriptures lead us into a life marked by peace, security. Things are as they should be. And I got a lot of scriptures on this. Um, I'm going to actually skip the first one back there for the sake of time. Psalm 19, Psalm 19, verse 7 through 11. Here's what King David has to say about the Bible. Listen to this. And the instructions of the Lord, that's the Bible. So I'm going to substitute the Bible when he's talking about the Bible. The Bible is perfect, reviving the soul. The Bible is trustworthy, making wise the simple. The Bible is right, bringing joy to the heart. The Bible is clear, giving insight for living. Listen to all these things that, that David says. This is what I find in the Scriptures. This is what it does in my life. It revives me. It makes me wise. It brings me joy. It gives me insight. It leads me into the good life as God designs it. And he goes on and says this. They, the words of God, they're more desirable than gold, even the finest gold. They are sweeter than honey, even honey dripping from the honeycomb. Psalm 119, it goes on in Psalm 119 and says, David, and if you ever want to read a long time, read Psalm 119. It's the longest chapter in the Bible. But we're not going to read all of it. Verse 103 through 105 says, How sweet your words taste to me. David says of of the Bible. And listen, the part of the Bible where we all quit reading. Genesis through Deuteronomy is what he's talking about. He says, even that, that part of the Bible, God's Word, it is sweet to me. Sweeter than honey. Your commandments, the Bible, give me understanding. No wonder I hate every false way of life. Your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. The Bible leads us into this this good, blessed, peace, joy kind of life. So much so that, you know, in, in a major contrast with Um, what I read in the stats earlier, there are other places in the world where the church is persecuted and they they can't print Bibles, where people are literally, there are are churches who gather who have a Bible for their church and have separated it out so you can take your part home and you can study it and pour over it, knowing that you might be beaten, thrown in prison, or even killed for it, and they're pouring over it, and they bring it back to the community and they pass it around so they can pour over the Scriptures. There are people who... And the history of the church have, has saved up for months in order to have enough money to purchase a Bible. There are people right now through 
Wycliffe Bible Translators, a new, uh, new uh, I can't remember the name of it, New Tribes Mission, that, that are literally living, I have a friend living in Papua New Guinea right now with a tribe that don't have a Bible in their language, and they've lived there with their family for years so they can learn the language, and now they're working on communicating the gospel and translating the Bible into their language. They believe it's worth their entire life. And I have trouble engaging with it consistently. But you know why people believe it's worth their entire life? Because they believe that God has given us this so we could have real life. It's a treasure. It's worth all the gold. And the last reason God gave us the scriptures was for this, to equip us for our mission. It's not the last reason, but the fourth one. It's the last one I'm going to tell you today. It's to equip us for what we're created for. Those who have a relationship with God are called to represent Him to the world. And, and, and Paul says this in 2 Timothy. Paul, at the very end of his life, is sitting in a prison in Rome, knowing he's about to be killed for his testimony about Jesus. And Paul writes to his, his son, his disciple in the faith, not his biological son, but spiritually. And he writes to him his kind of last words, Last corpus, if you will. And here's what he says. All the scripture, that's the Bible. At that time, it was, that's the whole Old Testament. All the scripture, the Bible is inspired by God. It's useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what's wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. And Paul, he, he would say then, and he's actually talking in that whole passage that there are, there are others who are not going to walk in that. So therefore, without the Bible, I am ill-equipped for the ministry, the mission God has called me to. Now, listen, I've, I've been studying the Bible for a while, and I told you about my background. I, I know it's not easy to, to understand all of it. It's It's, it's challenging. But this year as a church, we want to be people who make the most of what we've been given. Who make the most of what we've been given. And um, here's why we have the Bible. The Bible exists because God wants us to know Him. The Bible doesn't exist so that you can try to figure out what the word justification means for 45 minutes one day in your house. The Bible exists because God wants us to know Him, to walk with Him, and to represent Him. The Bible is not given to you to burden you with another thing to do. The Bible is a gift to you that we would experience life. So let's make the most of it this year. Let's make the most of it. Uh, real quick, one, one way I just want to invite you to, because it's, it's starting in, in a week from tomorrow. Um, but uh, I'm my primary ministry life is I'm the I'm director and a teacher with Emmaus Ministries. And every year we've got a community from different churches here locally that gather together to say, hey, I want to engage the Bible more deeply. Um, so this course starts up a week from Monday. It's a great way to start off the new year. We'll say the whole New Testament in seven weeks, no homework. Um, there's a QR code. You can check that out or you can hit me up after church and ask me about it. Um, but really, we've had a lot of people from here go through this before. would love to have you join us. Um, there's a community of people saying, hey, I, I want to know the God of the Bible more. And I want the Bible to feel more accessible to me. And so I want to encourage you to consider doing that. But as we move um, 
again, back right into this moment, right here, right now. Um, I want to come back to that. God wants you to know Him. He does. He wants you to know Him. God wants you to experience life. And God wants you to experience the fulfillment, the, the purpose of your life in representing Him. So He has given you a gift. He's given you a gift. But if I read it just to try to figure out all the words, that's not the point. I read the Bible because I want to know God. I read the Bible because I want to walk in His ways. And I read the Bible because I want to be equipped to represent Him wherever I'm at, wherever I go. As we come to an end of our service today, there's a little bit different feel. And for those of us who have been here for a while, if, if you're new, welcome. I'm so glad you're here. Hope you keep on coming back. It'd be great to spend time together. Um, but at the end of our, our, our message time, we want to just respond to whatever it is God has been doing in the midst of our, our time together. And there's three ways to respond during this time. And, and I want to set that context because it's the first time we've done it this way in a while. Um, but one is in communion that uh, throughout church history, God's people, when they gather together, they study His Word, they recognize at the center of our story, like Nate sang earlier, is the work of Jesus Christ. And so at the tables on the side, as we go into this next song, I just want to encourage you, if you're someone who has put faith in Jesus Christ, to go and, and, and take the bread, take the, take the juice, and remember the work of Christ that He did for each one of us. That though our stories are different, they're also the same. The hero of every one of our stories, the rescuer, is the person of Jesus Christ who through his body broken, through his blood shed, and then through his resurrection, redeemed us from our sin and gave us the gift of eternal life. So you can respond in communion. I want to encourage you to consider doing, to do that. The second thing is through, through offering. You'll notice we haven't talked about that yet today. Offering is really an act of worship, a response to God, not just the transaction we do. Um, and there's, there's still the, the different ways to give on the QR code uh, in front of you. You'll see if you want to figure out how do we give here. There's still some buckets available to give as well. But, um, but this is our time to also do our offering to say, God, we as a, as a family, we, we just love you and we thank you. And we also believe in what you've called us to do as a church community. So we want to invest in that. So you can, this is also a time during this song, during this last closing worship time to, to worship through offering. And then third, you know, the elders and elders' families have been available to just pray together with anyone who's feeling the Lord just stirring in their heart or saying, hey, I came here with a burden. I need to not carry it alone. So there's just three different ways that you can engage. Communion, offering, and in prayer. And you're invited to all three of those spaces together. We'll linger in this moment and just let the Lord do what He desires to do. But I want to pray for us. And we're going to close, uh, move, move towards our close. Yeah, God, as we even sit here right now and we, we recognize really you've invited us into these three spaces to respond to you. Um, Lord, you've just blessed us in so many ways. You've given us your word. And God, I pray that your word would speak, that this year we would experience your voice through the, through the Bible. We would experience the Bible not just as difficult words or challenging passages, but we'd experience the Bible as your word for us. And God, as we move to this time of response, Lord, and we receive communion, we, we acknowledge the gift of salvation through the work of Jesus Christ. We remember that. 
as we move into our offering and we give, we give because we love you. We give because we trust you. And we give because we believe in what you have called us to as a church. And Lord, as some of us come to prayer as well, we come because we need you. We need you to transform our lives. We need you to intervene in situations. And we believe that you hear our prayers. So Lord, I bless this church family today. As we move into this response, would you help us to be bold enough to walk out whatever it is you're calling us to right now? In Jesus' name, amen.